0: disseminating the results of their work through this series of informal conversations with some of the researchers and scientists behind some of these projects we hope to gain an understanding of the what the how and the how does this help of some of these fascinating projects Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this series of podcasts on the innovations that have stemmed from the Indian Institute of Science as a response to the COVID-19 pandemic. And today we have with us Dr. Sriram Ganapati. Welcome, Sriram. Thank you thank so you. much for being here.
1: Yeah, thank you for hosting me and thanks everyone for tuning into this podcast.
0: So Sriram, if we can just start with a brief introduction of you know
1: who you are, what
0: your background is a little bit, what led you to this place?
1: First of all, I am Sriram Ganapati. Uh, I hail from Trivandrum in Kerala. So my undergraduate uh, studies happened also in College of Engineering, Trivandrum. And I did a master's in Indian Institute of Science. And then I moved to US uh, in Johns Hopkins in uh, Maryland for my PhD studies. And once I was done with that, I spent about four years in uh, the IBM Watson Research Center in New York. So during my PhD and also during my uh, years in IBM as a research staff member, so our focus were mostly on signal analysis methods for speech and audio. So we would like to develop a new signal processing models to analyze speech and audio. Pretty much our models were trying to summarize long-term statistics of the signal for applications like recognition of speech, which means like you want to convert speech to text or identify who is speaker in a given recording or what language they are speaking and uh, other you know, information analytics that one can extract from the audio signal. So this part of the work uh, we were doing in uh, both my prior years in IBM. And after that, I joined as a faculty in the Institute of Science and Electrical Engineering. So we, I started this uh, lab named LEAP, which is essentially learning and extraction of acoustic patterns. So we uh, formed a group of people trying to analyze audio and speech sounds. So again, some of the problems that I mentioned, like recognizing speech, particularly in noise or in very distorted environments, in understanding who is the speaker, in understanding what language is being spoken and also some more into the science side, because the Indian Institute of Science is also more an amalgamation of uh, you know science and technology. So we have quite a number of science departments, quite a number of technology departments, engineering departments. So we also started looking at how humans do many of these tasks, uh, what sort of processing happens in the brain to make sense out of audio and speech. So some part of our work in our lab is towards the auditory neuroscience side. So we take uh, people to Boots to record their EEG signals while they are engaged in some speech and audio tasks. So this is another track of research that we follow in the lab. So when come to closer to this particular problem, so we were uh, you know uh, looking at in the past uh, uh, what properties of speech change when people have let us say some infection like a cold or a you know cough. We didn't particularly have any research projects or any other uh, you know engagements in that direction. But we were aware of studies also both in children and in adults that, you know, your speech and your audio sounds change quite uh, differently when you have this kind of vocal or viral infections in your production system. So when it started this uh, pandemic around uh, end of March, our group uh, and also a colleague, Professor Prashant Ghosh, who is also a faculty in the electrical engineering department, we started forming a mailing group trying to discuss what sort of uh, problems are in this space in a research manner and what other uh, people have published in the past years or so on you know diseases like pneumonia this is like asthma grading this is like COPD and diseases of uh, tuberculosis nature what other people have done purely based on acoustics and sound the group uh, about eight to ten of us were quite uh, actively trying to share with each other other published research you know we also came across and a, an app in australia that is called the reshealth app so that has been approved by the australian government for an approved telemedicine tool that has also been approved in europe uh, as ce mark so what it essentially does is that you have a mobile phone on which they ask you to give you some recordings of the nature of cuff of some uh, sounds of uh, speech nature and the app will give you some probability of having an asthma or a tuberculosis and other low or upper respiratory tract infection. So then we started you know uh, uh, seeing whether you know the covid uh, also has quite a bit of symptoms so we spent some time really understanding what the symptoms of the covid 19 are that are directed towards uh, speech production or directed in the lungs that uh, may you know elicit in the speech or audio data that we collect and cough seemed to be the most prominent one in many of the people at least the study showed that 60 to 70% of the people who are symptomatic for covid 19 have dry cough They have breathing difficulties. I have uh, difficulties in uh, some of them have hoarse voice. So the voice changes in terms of the hoarseness nature. And a few of the people have trouble sustaining the voice for long periods. Like, you know, if I ask you to say a particular sound for a sustained amount of time, your uh, breathing uh, cycles get disrupted and therefore you are not able to sustain that sound. And also the other aspect was some people were saying they have trouble speaking fast. So if I ask you to speak very fast, you have some trouble because you simply have to catch up your breath along with it. So essentially, all of these relate to some level of lung capacity, meaning your lung capacity is compromised due to the infection and you are not able to uh, you know, keep the vocal sound production as well as your breathing happen in parallel. So these were some of the non-invasive symptoms of COVID-19 that we wanted to try to see if we can explore into a full-fledged diagnostic tool. So then we started putting together some stimuli. So by stimuli, what we mean is what should people give to the tool? Like what sort of sounds, what sort of uh, acoustic data should be collected? Sridam, if I can just stop you there for a second. Can we just uh, talk about the whole idea
0: of you know, the same voice, I mean, the applications that could be used for voice recognition or speech to text being used as a diagnostic Uh, Is this a new kind of thread in medicine or in diagnostics or is it, I mean, where did it start? A little bit of context. So uh,
1: these are like, you know, the voice to text is an example of an AI system or a machine learning system. So, uh, you know, at a broad level, machine learning technologies are these uh, collection of algorithms that look for some patterns in the data. So you are looking for patterns in the data for voice to text conversion, perhaps, let us say. So let us say you are trying to only recognize uh, spoken digits. So I'm going to say one, four, three, two, five. And you want a machine to write down that one, four, three, two, five. Mm-hmm. So now it will try to figure out what the difference between the sound when I make the sound one versus when I make the sound four. And those distinctive patterns, the models characterize and say that this is not four, this is not three, this is not eight, but this is one. Right. So similarly for every other digit, so the models are capable of when you give enough amount of data of how one looks like, and how four mm-hmm. looks like, and how three looks like. Models are indeed quite capable of figuring out the distinct pattern that characterizes one versus a four versus a three or a two or a five. And therefore, the model like uh, figures out what is one and then it shifts a little bit of time and then looks for what is the next one. ships shifts a little bit of time, then looks for what is the next one and so on and so forth. So this is the broad pattern of machine learning, say applied to audio. Right. So now coming to the situation for COVID or any other diagnostics based on voice for that matter. So you are also trying to look for these kind of distinctive patterns. So how does the voice let us just look at maybe a simpler example. How can I say from the voice of you as an interviewer how can I say whether you have a common cold or not? So let us say I go into the population and I ask for people who have cold to contribute some data to my corpus and then I go into the general population I ask for people who don't have a common cold infection and they collect their voices now build a model which essentially looks for patterns in the audio that are distinctive characteristics of common cold so once i have a model then i can basically say that now a new person say you are an interviewer who are coming to speak to the system and then i am constantly looking for the presence of that pattern that distinctively says either you have the common cold or not so once this can be established, so you will ask me how many patients or how many participants do you need to build a good model? The more, the better, because we can now characterize a lot more types of voices. Maybe you want to have it for children, then you should collect enough data from children. You want to collect it from other ethnicities that you have not covered. Maybe your accent sometimes perhaps is distinctive from the rest that may you know, fool the machine. So the more you collect the data, the better these technologies get and therefore they are going to deliver you better results in trying to give you the two types, of errors i mean all these are all that i'm providing is an example of common cold. they are all transferable to any diagnostics so you want to basically reduce two types of errors one is that say you have a cold but the machine says you don't have a cold that's one type of error Uh, The exact opposite, which is that you don't have a cold, but the machine is having a false alarm, meaning it is saying that you are suffering from cold. So you want to minimize both these types of errors and many of these diagnostics kind of things, they kind of trade off one versus the other. So right now, if you take the example for COVID-19, the antibody test. So the antibody tests have been calibrated in such a way that if the antibody test says you are positive, then you are very likely to be positive. So there are very less amount of miss. But if the antibody says negative, you still are not sure that you don't have the infection. So the antibody tests are cute. They are maybe less expensive than the other testing, but they are less accurate. And what happens is that they trade off one error with the other for the other comforts that you get, like speed and cost. And also they are looking for different biomarkers, of course, in the data. So the same way, these all these uh, uh, properties are to be used in building some diagnostic tools. So you are trying to rely on distinctive patterns. So these could be like, you know, uh, for people, for example, having whooping cough. This is also called pertussis. So the common distinctive pattern is that there is a very strong high frequency nature in the cough that is distinctive for this. So you just look at the signal, what is called a spectrum of the signal, means you look at the frequencies of the signal and you d- detect that certain high frequencies are present uh, that are very distinctive for these patients compared to the rest. Coming to exactly to COVID-19, some studies have showed that the lung infection that, co- that the virus causes, it has a kind of a very uh, peculiar nature, like it has, at least in CT scans and so on, the lung infection caused by COVID comes across as glass-like uh, particles in the lungs. So it, these are basically very, very uh, distinct patterns, different from you know the lung infections caused by, say, pneumonia or other pathologies. So people have shown that even using a CT scan, one can do a very good job of detecting the presence of the virus. It's very distinctive in the scan. So now the hypothesis goes on to say that, OK, you have distinctive patterns of pathology in the CT scan. And we also know the breathing difficulties that are associated with COVID-19. So the essence therefore is, can I build a hypothesis around this? So the hypothesis is going to be that some of the stimuli that we are going to collect has some biomarkers that are going to be distinctive for COVID-19 versus a person being healthy or a subject having some other co That's really enlightening. <laughs> Uh, when you were
0: talking about the common gold example, and you said that you would go into the population and collect
1: data, how did you collect this data? Once we uh, looked for this hypothesis, we wanted to make it in such a way that, you know, of course, our country was in, in strict lockdown during those phases when we were uh, putting this tool together. And again, in several countries, too. we also did not, at the beginning, want to restrict it only to India or anything. We wanted to make sure that we collect population data from outside the country also. So there was no way that we could do it either at a healthcare facility or you know outside in the general population. So we wanted it to be a mobile-based tool. I a
0: see. tool
1: that works on the end-user smartphone. I a see. tool that is self-explanative. So that, you know, I don't or we as a group don't need to interfere in any part of the process. So it must be that simple that a common man who is, let us say, roughly comfortable with a smartphone, he or she can pick up the phone. Let us say he or she is already comfortable with using WhatsApp and whatnot. So the same kind of, you know, uh, feel of uh, simplicity should be there in the tool. And we therefore had to cut down our hypothesis to fit the simplicity. And the second aspect that we didn't want from the beginning itself is uh, no lack of privacy. So we wanted to make sure that the data doesn't particularly characterize who is the participant. So, you know, other apps certainly are there which are looking for contact tracing and so on. So, you know, we didn't want our data to get, you know, utilized any of for that contact tracing purpose or anything else. So, we purely wanted it to be kept for this diagnostic. So, we wanted to make sure that there is no personal identity getting recorded. Secondly, the stimuli, the data that is getting collected is, must be simple enough, must be short enough for even who are patients who are self-quarantined or isolated in a health center, they are also being able to use it. So that is where we shrunk the test. The entire thing takes about five to seven minutes to do the recording, and oh, that is a mobile-based web tool. So all you need is an access to the link. So the link uh, essentially is koshvara.iac.ac.in. So the term also oswara it came from you know our discussion saying that you know uh, swara is for the sound of course in Sanskrit and COVID 19 yes. was the first diagnostic we we're looking for putting it together. So we made this as an amalgamation of the uh, you know COVID-19 and Swara as the sound. Right. And uh, this tool, what we started putting it out, how we were trying to propagate it was we, once we made the web tool developed through our active people, volunteers and members in the group, we gave it or we mentioned it to the Indian Institute of Science. So they said that we will try to use our social media and other platforms to help give the outreach for the tool and therefore they put it out and then we also group. uh, We started putting it out in social media saying that we are conducting the study we want volunteers but we will ensure that your data is only used for research.
0: So when was this what is the time frame we are talking
1: about? Around third week of April so around 30. Okay. so we took about 3 weeks to figure out the stimuli also the web tool the design of it and and testing it with uh, various mobile platforms so it was not initially very good for mobile platforms like iOS and I safari see. I there see. were some issues with other samsung phones also right so this took some us for us to do some uh, you know uh, testing on different platforms and finally we were comfortable that you know still uh, to be even to date we are not able to basically solve a problem with a browser from facebook so only oh. thing right now we do is that the Facebook uh, browser essentially has some trouble connecting to the microphone. So oh. we want a microphone access from the browser for collecting the data. So what we do is we detect that browser and give the user a indication that it is not going to work and switch to a Chrome or a Firefox or a Safari. So that is the, essentially the fix for that. Right. So, so then this was I, the yeah. third week of April you started and you started asking
0: for data. Correct.
1: And, Correct. Right. So third week of April, we started putting it out in social media platforms. There was a very, uh, you know, sound uh, reaction from the public. A lot of people were, you know, very enthusiastic and encouraged by the idea. Then many mainstream media also picked it up in uh, in the country. Their stories also, when they came up, we started seeing people coming up, coming from across the country and giving data. So, you know, this uh, sort of things happened in April and May, and then around end of May, we got about 700-800 participants in the study. So then we started realizing that uh, the number of COVID-positive people were very less. So that was right. the one hypothesis that we wanted to build. So we started asking our own uh, Bangalore uh, hospitals we were treating the front line as well as uh, in other places like in Kerala and so on. So they asked us to contact ICMR, which is our nodal center for all this. So we published or uh, we essentially gave them a proposal on what we are trying to test and how you we are planning to do it. They asked us to make a presentation to the expert committee. So these involve some director of AIMS and other people right. who reviewed the protocol. And they said that, you know, since you don't have a tool, we don't have to test anything at this point, your protocol, they gave some feedback and they suggested that that now you can actively contact local hospitals or other nodal centers at different places. And, uh, go through their review processes if they have something of the review process nature and then go ahead and collect data. And the comment from the director of the AIMS, uh, Professor Gupta, was that uh, we should do it India-centric. So he was saying that, you know, your idea, if you collect or use data from US or Europe, our population may not be amenable to that because we have different respiratory issues. So the main concern with uh, the committee was that, you know, cough can be induced by many other symptoms too. Like, you know, you could have, you know, other bronchitis or upper tract infection of the respiratory nature. Right, so right, a lot right. of the morbidities also involve cough. So we right. are saying that, you know, if we have to collect data mm. and develop a tool based on AI, it has to be in the Indian context because our pollution and our respiratory disorders are quite in right. the Western world. So we set out by around June. Uh, now uh, what is happening is that we are trying to work with hospitals also. In addition to the general population contributing data, we are also trying to recruit dedicated population from hospitals uh, and also creating this template for hospitals to work with. So one hospital in Mumbai is already very enthusiastic. A a doctor there is also no part of our team. who is trying to actively work with our uh, uh, team to develop this. So we are going to maybe recruit the first uh, set of patients from uh, his own health center or hospital there. Can you just go back to this point of uh, the India-centric point? Uh, I'm not sure I fully followed that. Let me walk through the tool first and then directly get to the answer you were. Okay, that would be great. Yeah. Please. So the tool will first ask for some meta-information. So this meta-information is essentially your age and gender and some information regarding the country, from which you are participating and on top of this it will ask for details like whether you have undergone a COVID-19 chemical test like RT-PCR test so if you know if you have undergone that and you know you are positive there is a button to click or you think you may have co- been contracted with the virus but you have never tested there is another button for that and then if we have recovered from it, there is yet another one. And the last one is that, no, I have I think I'm healthy. So that is one set of questions. And the second set of questions is related to other morbidities that can also happen. So we ask for whether they have asthma pre-existing, whether the participant has tuberculosis, whether the participant has uh, uh, you know, a lung disorder, the participant has any fever or fatigue or heart diseases. We also check for hypertension. So we ask a set of health indicators for the participant and uh, on top of it, there is also a, always a indication to say that we also ask for the smoking habits, Right. so these are all factors we think are going to affect the sound system or the sound right. that the participant is going to provide.
0: Do you also ask for other lifestyle choices like do you also ask about other lifestyle choices like exercise or uh, sleeping habits? Anything that could affect lung capacity or uh, breathing, as it were?
1: Yeah. So we don't ask for exercise directly. We ask for their, uh, you know, health in terms of either heart diseases, hypertension. So these are indirectly checking for this. Right. Then on top of it, once they have answered these meta information, then we start recording their sounds. And the sounds we record are like two levels of breathing cycle. So one has to do a normal breathing and a deep breathe and three cycles of it. So what you do is you keep your smartphone about 20 centimeters from your mouth or nose and do this recording. Every piece of recording that we ask for, there is also a sample. So if you don't know what we mean by deep breathing, there is a button saying, you know, you play the sample and then uh, we have an illustration of somebody doing the normal breathing and deep breathing. Same for cuff. So we have a normal cuff and a, a heavy cuff. And we give an example of a normal cuff and a heavy cuff. And these are induced cuffs. I mean, it's not a natural cuff for that matter. And then we ask for some speech sounds. So speech sounds we ask for is R, E and O. So we ask participants to say the sound uh, for as long as he can sustain, he or she can sustain, Say for the other two sounds and a counting exercise. So the counting exercise is all you need to do is count from 1 to 20 in a normal manner and in a fast pace. So you as quickly as you can, if you can count from 1 to 20. So this is the all the recording that is done. So now coming to answer your question particularly, So what happens perhaps is like people uh, in the country versus people outside. So our, uh, let us say, health uh, uh, or populations, asthma or other lung diseases are factored partly due to the living conditions we are in. So our, you know, places like Delhi or even for that matter, Bangalore or other uh, metro cities, we have a, quite a different set of pollution and other health issues that come with this. And therefore our lung may already be compromised in a different way. And the second aspect that we don't know for sure is the strain of the virus. So the strain of the virus that is out there in Europe or out there in China or out there in the US, as well as the strain of the virus that is affecting different parts of country in India may exhibit itself differently in the symptoms that people may have. So that you already see partly in the data that you know some countries have very low for you know fatality rate, some countries have very high fatality rate for the same amount of people getting infected. And some of this is due to the viral strains that have been detected so for us at least the majority we are being you know found is the strain of the virus that has come from Europe but still you know there are other strains that you know even in places like Gujarat they have said there are two to three strains of the virus already that is out there so we don't know some of these are unknowns so that's why we are just trying to collect data so that you know if for example so one of the reasons why we also collect in addition to COVID-19 is the symptoms is because we know that about 30 to 40 percent of the population are asymptomatic so we also don't know whether even if they have infection but they are asymptomatic whether the voices and sounds have the strain of the infection or the biomarkers for the virus so this is why we are collecting the meta information and why we were putting it together we didn't realize it but at a later stage we have found that uh, by middle of may there was already a study that came out from UK which said that purely based on symptoms they purely based on a questionnaire you can get about 60 to 70% accuracy in telling whether a participant has covid-19 or not so they ask about 20 questions and then build a simple classifier based on that have you lost you know sense of taste have you you know uh, experiencing some high fever have you basically been having some fatigue or you know these kind of questions so just by when you answer about 20 questions one could get a reasonable take at whether you have a virus uh, of COVID-19 nature or not. So what we want to do is, now while we were collecting the data, we were not fully clear of how the data is going to be used. So when we try to build this tool, we will also uh, factor in this uh, information that is coming out of the questionnaire along with the acoustic sound data.
0: How (laughs) many samples do you need to arrive at an accurate representation?
1: So this is more like, you know, it's what in these kind of uh, diagnostics in testing, it's really like how, so first of all, it, it is not really that, first of all, there are two things that are involved. One is the learning models want to see variety of data. Therefore, they can extract the patterns that are needed. So that is the training issue. So how right. diverse your training pool is, right. models right. benefit from that. Second uh, situation is how many of these, so what you do typically in all these machine learning uh, modeling is, Let us say you have a pool of 1000. Now what you do is you divide the pool into something that you want to use for training and something that you want to keep it aside for testing. So I'm going to develop an algorithm based on some training and then I'm going to test it. It's just like your class test. You are given some material to prepare and then you will be asked questions on slightly different things. And then you are tested on whether you are able to answer them correctly or not. So what happens is if you limit the number of questions in your test, same way as if you limit the number of samples you have in test, there is something called variance. The variance means that the models are simply not stable enough. I know you may be very good, but just because I asked you only one question and you failed yeah. to answer that, you will be deemed, let us say, not qualified. So that is not a fair judgment. So we want to give the algorithms enough data to test also Mm -hmm. so that their variance is reduced. Mm -hmm. So from studies we find from across the world for various things, we assume that if we have about 2000 participants of healthy nature, about 500 participants of COVID positive nature, and another 500 participants who have other respiratory disorders. So these are the three classes that we want to separate out. And right now, the state of affairs is perhaps like about 800 to 900 participants of healthy nature are already in the pool in the last few mm-hmm. months. And about uh, 100 or 50 to 100 participants of the pool of respiratory ailment nature are there. And maybe about uh, 20 to 30 of the COVID-positive nature are there. So we are. that's why I said that we are going to dedicatedly record from hospitals or health centers. So the proposals we are writing is that, you know, we are going to recruit or help uh, recruit with your hospitals uh, uh, people, about 100 COVID-positive patients and 100 people who have other respiratory ailments. And all we say is that in many of these places, the people with milder symptoms, I mean, at the end of the day, we are not targeting the people with very, very uh, severe COVID-19 symptoms. So Sridhar, <laughs> Who will benefit from this tool? Uh, Where do you foresee this tool being used? We want it as a pre-screening tool. So at the end of the day, where we envision our tool to play a role is, like, you know, you feel that you may be compromised or your health may be compromised. You don't want to risk yourself to go to a testing center and get tested. And you are basically going to rely on something like a mobile-based app. And if the mobile-based app unfortunately shows that you have a high probability that you are infected, then you basically have more than a reason to go and take do yourself a medical or clinical testing. But on the other side, if you are, the tool is saying that you have very low probability that you are infected, you feel little confident not to risk yourself out. So uh, you know what that is really where we want to place the tool in terms of having this. The testing facilities, of course, are expanding, but they are still not to the speed that the population can. Anybody who wants to get tested can indeed get tested. And second aspect now with the surgeon cases, you find places where the testing results come out in two days in four days sometimes. So what happens in these two days or four days is that the person is moving around and and contracting the virus. So, you know, you don't want to, you know, risk that. So if a person has a very high probability and the acoustics are sounding very much like other people who were contracted, you want to take actions right away. So that is why uh, once the tool is, let us say, in place, we envision that about 30 seconds to one minute is all we should have the tool detect uh, voice. So this, all this, what will happen is that your data gets uploaded to a server and the server will crunch these data in a few seconds and then come back out with the results back to your smartphone through the network and the entire process? We envision that to happen in less than a minute. That's absolutely fantastic. My god, is there a margin
0: of error that you are calibrating? Correct.
1: That you are so, we want to, uh, so, yes, so that is the calibration thing. So once these models are in place or once the data is in place, we can build the models, as I mentioned in the previous question. We can calibrate the test. What do we mean by calibrating a test? We mean that we want to put a threshold on when a particular parameter says that you have the infection or not. So we can calibrate the test in such a way that, you know, the test doesn't miss. So, you know, it basically can say you are positive when you are not. But when it says positive, it is pretty much accurate. Right? So you want to calibrate the test in such a way that it doesn't miss, but it can give you false alarm. So what is the worst case in a false alarm? You will go and do a chemical testing and that may confirm. But we don't want to miss a participant who has some infection. So you
0: will Once you want to calibrate
1: it? that way. You can make more people say that they have COVID, but that may put some strain on the testing system. The testing system. But at the end of the day, you don't want anybody to feel complacent and sit at their home and they actually have the virus. Right. So that is a calibration thing. So antibody tests have some way of calibrating it so that essentially, you know, when they say positive, they really mean positive. When they say negative, they could be still be positive. So we can calibrate it in another way too. Right. So, so the uh,
0: calibration that you do will err on the side of positive, so we, is yes. biased so we, towards positive.
1: It will bias towards positive, It will bias towards missing less. So right. we did it in such a way that it can generate false alarms. So mm-hmm. let us say when we do the uh, final tool, it comes out that we have about 95% accuracy on testing positive means that if uh, essentially when you are positive the tools gives you 95% of the time but when you are negative the tool may be accurate only about 70% of the time so that what that happens is that the remaining 20-30% you are asking them to go and do a chemical test. So they are, of course, going to spend some time and money and maybe a little bit of risk associated with it, but it is worth the risk compared to the 95 you can get. Of course, you can calibrate it the other way too, because these are AI systems. You can calibrate it in any which way that you want mm, uh, to make the tool work. But the Mm -hmm. ideal for this is that both of these errors should be less. So when the system gets better, you will reduce both kinds of errors. But let us say you are going to have an on the average about 20% error. Then you can distribute that 20% to 30% on one side and 10% on the other side. So this uh, kind of calibration one can do. And that is something that we have to do. And uh, is there also going to be some ethical decisions when we make this. We have to also consult. So the ICMR has mentioned to us, uh, or maybe not just mentioned, they have uh, asked us to commit to the fact that once we have the tool, it goes through their approval process. So we are not authorized to release any tool without a proper validation of the tool. Yeah. And does that make sense to you? It yeah.
0: does, right? Yeah, it,
1: yeah. it does make sense. So what they will do, for example, is the following. So I am going to say that I collected enough data. I am happy with the status of my algorithm. And I am saying that it gives me a 5% error when there is a positive case coming into the tool. And I am getting 20% error when a negative case is coming into the tool. So uh, I gave these numbers and I also provide them with the tool. What the agency will do is they have their own set of patients or participants. They will run the tool separately on them for both people who are positive and people who are negative. And they may also have people who are asymptomatic, people who have other comorbidities, all the different varieties. And when they have, let us say, some amount of samples from all of them run through the tool, they will come back and check the results that they get with what we claim. And if the two matches, they will say that, yes, it is validated to the level that you, that have you are validated. claiming. Right. And then uh, the second step is, of course, if the claim not only is validated and the claim is at a good number, that they can be used to be, uh, let like us say, in an advisory nature to other health centers or governments or policy makers. The next level would be that the ICMR would recommend it. Mm-hmm. First is validating it. The second one yeah. is ICMR as the uh, you know the authority to recommend our health uh, system to take up this tool. So, you know, health customers, uh, state governments or, you know, the central government or right. other places like, you know, for example, aircrafts or, you know, airports, right.
0: Right. You know, or, you know, so software
1: this, companies.
0: Right? Could they also maybe integrate this tool with the RWS2 app?
1: So we are uh, trying to get, so essentially what happened is many industries also were all, uh, you know, uh, interested in this idea. We were in touch with uh, uh, folks like Google, folks like uh, uh, Amazon and so on during the development. So Google in particular had mentioned that they are aware of the backend developers of RRJ SETU. So we are trying to get in touch with them. More like to the level to say that here is a tool, if you are interested in volunteering, you can... Go to this website and try to do this and the same thing is what we are also recommending our doctors or people in the health system what we are doing is we don't want the doctors to get involved in any manner only requirement from them is to pass the information that hey this tool exists if you are interested you can go volunteer your data use your own smartphone so anyone who is also listening to the podcast who is interested in volunteering their data or uh, uh, to our study so uh, please go log in to this in and you donate your data only using your own smartphone. And we also give an instruction in the website to sanitize your phone after you know, recording. Right. So this is what the patients are also asked to do or participants in the study who are in health centers. So either it could be in home quarantine or isolation or you could be in the health center itself. Uh, you are still in a, a COVID-19 ward. So we still ask them. Only the people who have a smartphone and internet connectivity can participate in the tool. So that is the only set of people that can currently participate in the tool. Right. So maybe once we develop the tool, you know, the tool is showing some level of success and so on. Then you know, hospitals or other people can have maybe a dedicated uh, internet-connected devices. In we yeah. use for this. Right. Right. Shriram,
0: I know that there are many uh, that there is some way to mm-hmm. go in terms of especially the data collection mm-hmm. uh, but when will you think when do you want this to be ready of course all i right, think right. up to uh, you it would be tomorrow but uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: no no it's not tomorrow certainly okay, <laughs> totally not tomorrow i mean we had to be realistic right so initially yes. when we thought so let me put it this way right you know the uh, ideal wish list when we started was that we would have the tool already now yes so something of the three month cycle is what we thought But what we realized was that the data that is coming through, while we are very happy with the numbers of Mm -hmm. the data that people actually the numbers of the number of people who have participated in the study is quite good. But what has happened though, it is very biased. It is very, you know, very much from the healthy nature. So uh, uh, then, you I mean, it's good, of course, that we know that a lot of our participants are healthy, which is a good thing to know. But what it doesn't help is in building the diagnostics for the disease. Right. So then we had to start working with these, uh, you know, ICMR as well as with the other hospitals and health centers. And what we started realizing is that, you know, this is a research thing. And these ICMR uh, as well as hospitals are in the front line of the disease. So their priorities are really, some of the doctors even are getting contracted and therefore it is a really difficult situation for them. Yes, so yes. having these you know reviews and, 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 and review boards conduct meetings, it has been hard to get scheduled. And we don't blame the system for that. That has only slowed us down. So what do we anticipate? Uh, Back to your question, maybe in a couple of months, we would have some level of data to get a first version of it. Mm -hmm. So as with all AI systems or machine learning systems, uh, once a version is out, you still keep collecting data using that version. And then you deep log to improve your system. More iterations. It's going to be an evolving process. So we also, as a group, we thought it's going to be about 20% of our time. We'll try to volunteer for this, but now it has become very much mainstream that we are trying to dedicate resources and time to develop the tool. So once we have a few hospitals coming into the loop, uh, you know, definitely certain population of patients or participants coming into the system, we can generate a first level of tool for the public, at least for the clinical validation. And again, it has to go through, as I said, clinical validation that may take a month or so. That is perhaps, let us say, the best the best case would be, like right now, we are in the end of July. So the best case would be about, you know, October-ish when we can expect some level of uh, traction in this. And then, you know, right. if uh, things are moving faster than that, then we will get more data and therefore the tool is going to be more better placed. Right. Uh, and so on and so forth.
0: Just one more question from me and then, you know, anything else that you want to add. Is So this uh, this I is obviously named for the COVID Disease, but as you mentioned, there are several other diseases and several other issues, such as even you know things like allergens, especially in small children, mm-hmm. where you know diagnosing them becomes difficult. But asking mm-hmm. them to cough and say one to twenty is mm-hmm. possibly okay. much easier. You know, from a parental or from a clinic point of view. Uh, so, do you foresee the same logic? And because all the work has been done in creating this mm-hmm. for other illnesses and for other.
1: So very much. So uh, two things I will mention. First of all, is that. I Maybe I may have missed it during our whole process. There are other groups across the world also trying to you know follow this line of work that I probably missed to say. It. There's right. people of an active group in Cambridge in UK, okay. a very active group in the University of Oklahoma, Carnegie Mellon University in the US, oh, EPFL wow. is a university in Switzerland. So we know about four to five universities across the globe. Are also in this process of trying to use sounds and audio data for COVID nineteen diagnostics. So we are also for some of them. We are in touch with them. We also share our data whenever in anonymous fashion for them to also advance in their tool development. And the second, back to your question, the doctors, whom we are getting in touch with, they say that you know part of the reason we want to be engaged or interested in this tool is that this can build you know telemedicine for the next generation of you know yes. respiratory diseases. Yes. So even if COVID, let us say, you know, in six months from now, uh, you know, we have a vaccine. We still, when we have the next set of illnesses or any other things, we have to eliminate COVID out. And if there is a test or a cure, uh, a symptom that you can find out through the voice, you can, you know, take it off the plate for the next set of diagnostics. And the asthma and tuberculosis and other things, while there is, you know, active medicine, they're still not totally eradicated. They are still present in our population. And telemedicine is something that, uh, you know, doctors foresee is going to become more and more important because uh, doctors are also, you know, uh, want to take it as much off their plate if they can. And particularly the patients also, only when you need to go visit a hospital or a health center, you want to go there. You don't want to go there otherwise. You know, even now for that matter, in the three months, many hospitals have, you know, started e-consultation. Many of them are using, you know, online tools for, you know, Uh, medications or even diagnostics as much as possible. Yes, absolutely. So this is something that, you know, will stick on. And we certainly feel that this is going to stick on well after the pandemic, that, you know, the online tools and diagnostics that the hospitals and the patients are getting used to during this pandemic is going to make them rely on them even after. So, you know, if you have more tools of this nature, then one could build it. And the one point, more point, maybe I have missed it is that, you know, we are also in touch with one company named Life Signals. Okay. okay. So what they have is they make a patch, which is at the remote diagnostics. So you can have a patch that you attach to your left portion of your chest. It records your ECG, it records your body temperature and it records, you know, some pulse oximeter like SPO2 levels also. So what we are trying to talk to them is to do a parallel recording. So when a participant is giving data to the tool, can I also get his heart rate? Can I also get his body parameters like temperature? And how, you know, these can get integrated. We know of uh, some uh, tool that IIT Madras is trying to do on a wristwatch which is also mm-hmm. going to monitor the participants' heart rate and so on. And maybe that also can provide some indicators of uh, you know, COVID-19. So this is going to be like, you know, many other body signals, you know, uh, ECG certainly or I- yes. iWatch or Apple's watch can do some diagnostics. So other things like wearables are also going to come in place. So, you know, these are all integrated with the smartphone. Right. So we have an app, which also does based on acoustics. Integrating with other smartphone-based apps is something that can, you know. Help right. You. right. Uh,
0: do you also think that it is useful in terms of a self-diagnosis or a preemptive diagnosis, or, or not diagnosis, actually, evaluation, mm-hmm. self-evaluation in high-risk demographics, like let's say people in areas of high pollution
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, or people who work in mines mm-hmm. or in quarries, you know, mm-hmm. where particulate matter is very high. Mm-hmm. Therefore, automatically their uh, respiratory mm-hmm. system is over a period of time compromised. So do you think this could help You know, them self evaluate so that they do a self check every three months.
1: Correct. I mean, there's really like, uh, you know, a part of it is to collect the data from those. And we see mm. that, you know, the, uh, when, you know, uh, so what doctors say is that, you know, some of these, even the doctors use a stethoscope to listen to your breathing sound. Right. So you know, uh, if you have enough samples of the nature of breathing and respiratory style, you can build tools around them. So it is a matter of let us say, if a particular geography is high risk, as you say, or let us say they are living in a city which is high uh, high levels of particulate matter. Once you have enough data, you can also start saying that you know the entire population in this place, a majority of them, their voices have this particular characteristic. Mm. And we don't see it in other places or we don't see it in other populations. So there is nothing else other than this factor that has contributed to this. So, you know, that can give indicators saying that now there could be more hidden illnesses that the patient or the participant has never been diagnosed with. Uh, You know, you simply go ahead till you fall sick, more or less. Right. So, you know, this can give you preemptive or at least early pre-screening indicators for other respiratory illnesses. So
0: Sriram, I think that brings us to the end of this conversation, which has been such an enjoyable one. Thank you very much. And an enlightening one. I think we should end with a shout out to your team members, the other people who made this possible. Um, If you just want to go ahead and tell us who they are.
1: So the team certainly, uh, uh, thanks for asking this question. I should have probably mentioned this uh, at the beginning itself. So the team compromised a majority of the students and and postdoctoral fellows from my lab. So these include Uh, Dr. Neeraj Sharma, Dr. Srikant Raj, these are two PhD graduates uh, uh, who are also, one of them also graduated from postdoc in Carnegie Mellon and is back in India. Then we have PhD student uh, Shreyas and uh, then uh, M.Tech students Anand Mohan and Rohit Kumar. And project intern, uh, Prashant Krishnan. So this is basically the set of team from my lab, about seven of us. Then we have Professor Prashant Kumar Goj, who is another faculty in the electrical engineering department. His group does some interesting research on speech production. They try to do a speech production studies as well as on some grading of asthma. So his also inputs were vital in the early part. Then Dr. Nirmala, who is a... Medical doctor in the is a health center. So uh, the Indian Institute of Science has a medical health center. She's a medical officer there. She got uh, a, you know interested in the idea. We chat with her. And lastly, as I mentioned, there was a, a doctor, a pulmonologist from uh, the Hinduja Hospital. His name is Lancelot Pinto. He is based in Mumbai and he's also part of the team now. His hospital is where we are trying to recruit our first set of participants and patients. So this is about the set of team. We are about eight to ten people uh, trying to work on this tool. Fantastic. Thank you all. And I hope that this comes
0: uh, to us sooner than later, because I think it will really change the way we are dealing with this. uh, Yeah, we hope so
1: too. Yeah, we we will try to do our best, certainly.
0: Yes. And uh, we will try and spread the word so you get more data. For those of you who are listening and who are interested in volunteering, in helping develop this tool and uh, making sure that it helps many other people, uh, please go to koswara.iisc.ac.in. That's C O S W A R A.iisc.ac.in and uh, give in your voice samples as instructed. Thank,
1: Thank you so you much, Sriyam, for chatting with you us. Thank you for doing this. Uh, uh, I appreciate your effort and time also in making this happen.
0: Thank you for listening. For more information on this project or on other projects developed at the IISC, please visit covid19.iisc.ac.in That's covid19.iisc.ac.in